Okay, Joshua chapter 7, and let's just have a look at verse 1 again. Joshua chapter 7, verse 1. But the children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing, for Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed thing, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. And the title of my sermon today is Selfish Sins That Hurt Others. Selfish Sins That Hurt Others. So what's going on here? In Joshua chapter 6, basically they surrounded Jericho. Um, Joshua has given them some really clear instructions. If you look at chapter 6 and verse 17, uh, chapter 6 and verse 17, says, And the city shall be accursed, even it and all that are therein to the Lord. Only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all that are that are with her in the house, because she hid the messages that we sent. And ye in any wise keep yourselves from the accursed thing, lest ye make yourselves accursed when ye take of the accursed thing, and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. But all the silver and gold and vessels of brass and iron are consecrated unto the Lord, they shall come into the treasury of the Lord. So the city is accursed, or basically doomed to destruction, misery. And verse 17 said, said there that the city, the city and all that are therein shall be accursed. Verse 18, he says to keep from anything in the city, or basically you and the camp of Israel shall be accursed. And verse 19 says that all the valuables are to be put into the Lord's treasury. They're pretty clear instructions, aren't they? Okay, verse 18 said, lest ye make yourselves accursed when you take of the accursed thing and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. Now, after this, they shout, the wall collapses. If you remember the story, um, they save Rahab and they burn the city, okay? It's a great victory. Things are looking good for them at this point. But Achan, he didn't care, did he? He didn't care about God's commandments. He didn't care about the repercussions for him or anyone else. Um, he couldn't resist. And, and just in case you're wondering, this wasn't an accident. This wasn't just, a, you know, something that happened. He wasn't quite sure of the instructions. Turn to Joshua uh, chapter 7 again and verse 20. Joshua chapter 7 and verse 20. And it says, so this is when he's rumbled. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and thus and thus have I done. When I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonish garment and 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold of 50 shekels weight, then I coveted them and took them, and behold, they are hid in the earth in the midst of my tent and the silver under it. So basically he's coveted them, he's taken them, and then they've stayed there during the scouting trip to Ai, They've stayed there during this, the brief battle that happened at AI as well. So this isn't something that he just kind of, oh, he made this error. He, he kept it going. He buried it. Um, now, I don't know about you. I reckon it was probably the goodly Babylonish garment that did it. Um, now, and I was looking at, look at, thinking about this. I was thinking it's kind of, it sounds to me like this was some high-end, some high-end clothing, this goodly Babylonish garment. Yeah. And, and I was thinking... Uh, and I started looking at this. I was looking at what, what's our high-end suits that we have now. Has anyone ever looked into this stuff? And don't try and pretend that you can afford any of it, you guys. But, <laughs> but you know, you, you know there, there's stuff out there. Now, there's something ridiculous where it's like three quarters of a million. It's just because it's like studded with a load of diamonds. So I was looking at the top ten suits. But there's like one which does seem to sell a lot. $90,000, sorry. $90,000 for this kind of very high-end suit which all these, these guys are wearing. 90000 yeah. And this is what you get for $90,000 if anyone's thinking they want to save up for this, okay? So, so this is designed by a fashion designer, Alexander Amozu. Um, no doubt he's probably a sodomite. This suit is designed with the help of three unique fabrics, one from Vicuna, a South American animal, I think I've said that right, that looks like a llama and shears wool every three years, wool made from the fur of Arctic muskox, also known as the world's most expensive wool, as well as pashmina sourced from the eponymous Himalayan goats. Truly international in its statement. It takes more than 80 hours, 5,000 stitches to make it. So the price of the suit additionally goes up thanks to its 918 karat gold and is it pave or parve set diamond buttons? Okay, so this is, this, this is stuff that these like, oil tycoons and these kind of these big celebrities like to wear going out in and, and I mean that's something else isn't it but what a waste of money hey what an absolute colossal waste of money you'd be embarrassed wearing that wouldn't you you should be embarrassed wearing something like that I mean you could spend that on some better things than a suit but uh, apparently it lasts a long time but um 
whoa. So anyway, I think it's a Babylonish garment that really probably done him. Um, and then he just added on the money at the same time. But he's taking the garment, and it, it is a small fortune what he's taken as well here. But look what happens because of his selfishness. So remember, 6.18 warned, and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. And I was thinking about this story in the two different areas of Achan's life that was affected by his selfishness. So there's two clear areas that are affected. And, and, and let's be honest, most sin is, is probably, most sin is selfish to some degree really, isn't it? Okay, most sin is. Um, but when you know full well the effect it will have on everyone around you, that's another level, isn't it? When you know full well the massive negative effects going to have on people around you, then, then we're talking, now we're talking extreme selfishness here. And just, just remember again, jo- Joshua 7.1, it said, But the children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing, for Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed thing, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. So, Number one here in these two areas is selfish sins that hurt our people. Okay, selfish sins that hurt our people. So God made it clear, didn't he, that it would affect the people. Okay, God made it really clear there. It did affect the people. And notice how he holds the children of Israel collectively responsible. Doesn't he? He holds them collectively responsible here. Um, The anger of the Lord was kindled against all of them. Okay, not just Achan. Now, why is that? Why was it kindled against everyone? Um, it could just be that he warned them as a people and therefore his punishment was on them as a people. Um, we see this sort of th- theme, don't we, throughout the Old Testament, uh, where people as a whole are punished for the sins of the children of Israel. But maybe, maybe there was already, maybe there was a covetous problem, covetous problem amongst the people. Maybe it hadn't been preached hard enough, maybe. Maybe, and I would say here, to the point where you're stealing that amount when you've been told not to, I think there's probably already a sign, wasn't there, with Achan? I'd imagine there must have been a sign. Someone must have, I doubt that was the first thing he'd done, um, which showed his, his covetous self, his selfishness. I, I kind of think of it like rats, you know? They say when you see one rat, there's probably already an infestation, yeah? And in the same way, once you're to the point where you're, you're stealing when you've been given that clear warning and burying it in, in the ground under your tent, I think there was probably already some signs of that. Um, but either way, Achan would have probably become more of a problem in the future, wouldn't he? His covetousness, his selfishness, I'm sure it would have affected them greatly, affected people around him, affected the children of Israel even more. Um, well, look at the results. So, have a look at chapter 7 and verse 4. It says, So there went up thither of the people about 3,000 men, and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai smote of them about thirty and six men, for they chased them from before the gate even unto Shebarim, and smote them in the going down. Wherefore the hearts of the people melted and became as water. And Joshua rent his clothes and fell to the earth upon his face before the ark of the Lord until the eventide, he and the elders of Israel, and put dust upon their heads. So his sin caused about thirty-six men to die. Says about that. His, it, it causes people to turn from these mighty destroyers of Jericho to basically a trembling mess, didn't it? And Joshua and the other leaders of Israel to end up basically face first in the mud. Okay, And, and when it comes to us, our selfishness, it, it hurts our people, doesn't it? It hurts our people, our church that is, and it hurts our leaders. And we can all be selfish, can't we? Everyone here, we all, we all have the ability, some more than others, to be selfish. But as a church, as a church, we should be trying our best not to, shouldn't we? As a church, we should, we should be trying our utmost not to be selfish, like, especially not to that degree. Turn to Philippians chapter 2. And this is Paul talking to the, um, to the church at Philippi. So Philippians chapter 2 and from verse 3, he said, Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. So it's not about our own vain glory, is it? It, it? We should be humble, we should be lifting each other up above ourselves in our minds, shouldn't we? That's how we should be behaving in a church. We, we want to be focusing on each other individually um, and also collectively by having a heart for our church, shouldn't we? Okay, that's how we should be behaving. And, and 
like in Joshua 7, as a church, we can get cursed collectively. We can also get blessed collectively, can't we? As a church as well. Now, you don't have to turn to 1 Corinthians 14, 12 says, Even so ye, for as much as ye are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that ye may excel to the edifying of the church. It's all about the church. We went through this with the book of Corinthians. Even our spiritual gifts, really, it's all about edifying the church. Okay, because that's where it all starts. That's where it's all based around, isn't it? The church. Now, my prayer here is that everyone here genuinely wants this church to succeed. Okay, that's what I pray for. That everyone in this church wants it to succeed and aren't just selfishly ticking a box for themselves here, um, waiting for something better, maybe, seeking their own vainglory somehow through the church, or worse, maybe hoping for its downfall. And I really hope that's not the case. I hope that's not going on here. But because there are, there are people around this country. There are people around this country that want this to fail. You know that? There are people, there are Christians around this country that want this to fail. There are so-called NIFB believing Christians around this country that do want this to fail. You do understand that, yeah? For, for a few different reasons there. Maybe it's because it really it challenges them. All that preaching, move close to a church, you know, change your life where the church is, you know. You know, it's not about the job. It's not about the house. It's not about the family, you know, family, friends and everything in that area. Come down, get close to a church and then it, well, wait a second, there's a church here now. I can't just be an online Christian anymore and claim it's just because there's no churches around. I've got to make that decision. And people, they, they want it to fail because they don't want that. Because the truth is, it's a lot easier sitting at home, isn't it, on YouTube? Yeah. Sitting, uh, eat, like, like they say, eating chips off your chest. <laughs> that, that's the truth, isn't it? Because it's much easier than turning up week in, week out and work, uh, doing the work that goes into a church. Because we all should be here working for the church, shouldn't we? And there are people around this world that want this church to fail as well. Yeah. There are people around this world that want this church to fail. That's the truth. And if you're, if you're trying to... If you are trying to selflessly serve this church, then you'll not only want it to, to succeed, but you'll hopefully be praying for myself, praying for Pastor Thompson, praying for others in the church, praying for people that have problems, that have issues that might affect the church. We should all be praying for each other. We should all want this church, church to succeed. You'll also be promoting the church to others, won't you? Inviting others along. Yeah, that's what you'll be doing. If you want this church, church to succeed, you'll want it to grow. Be kind and loving to everyone here, wouldn't we? That's how we should all be, kind and loving to each other. But look, as a church, all sin, all sin is going to affect us. But I, I believe, I believe there are certain specific sins that will particularly hurt this church and particularly hurt churches in general. And these are just some, this isn't, you know, an exhaustive list. These are just some off the top of my head. So let's start with Aiken's example. So Aiken's example was covetousness, wasn't it? Okay, which is a strong or, or inordinate desire so inordinate desire to, of obtaining and possessing some supposed good, usually in a bad sense, applied to an inordinate desire of wealth or avarice, which is a greed for riches. Okay, it usually focuses around money. And there's a reason that, that 1 Corinthians 5 commands us to kick people out who are covetous, isn't there? Okay, there's a reason. Um, you don't have to turn to Luke 12, 15. Jesus said, and he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. He said, Take heed and beware. Okay, that, like, that's a serious warning, isn't it? Take heed, beware of covetousness. Because it's bad enough that this society encourages it everywhere, doesn't it? Every step. Half the adverts are just encouraging you to covet things. Everywhere you go, it's encouraging you to covet wealth, covet riches, covet other stuff, things in life. Um, and it is everywhere, isn't it? And it's bad enough, but we're, kind of, we're coming here to get away from a lot of those, those, those effects of the world, aren't we? And then we come into this church, and we don't want to have it here either, do we, as well? Because it's bad enough trying to keep away from it and keep your mind clean with covetousness. And then you come in a church... And it, and it spreads, doesn't it? People who are covetous, it, it, it's catchy, it spreads. The more people talk about money and stuff and things, the more it starts to affect those around them. Um, and sadly, as we see here, it often leads to theft, doesn't it? Theft of some sort or another. Theft from people, theft from, could be even, we've seen it, theft from a church, haven't we, before? Uh, and that's where covetous leads. Um, Achan said, didn't he, that he, he coveted them and took them. He coveted, then he took them. And it starts with the covetousness. Um, now, I'm not going to go on a, you know, the, you, could preach, you could preach sermon after sermon out of this, this chapter, and you could preach a lot on covetousness, but I want to hit through a few different things that I think affect us. Um, 
Psalm 119.36, that fraternal says, incline my heart unto thy testimonies and not to covetousness. And that's the answer, isn't it? Is to get your heart right on the things of God, get your heart right on, on the word of God and away from that covetousness. And when you feel that, when you feel that, get back to the word of God. Get those, those verses which make it clear, you know, not, not to covet. That a man's life consisteth not in, the, in, you know, in his possessions, the abundance of things. That's not, that's not what we should be seeking, is it? We should be seeking the things of God. Um, okay, but another one that's similar to that is envy. Envy similar, isn't it? Okay, and, and envy is to feel uneasiness, mortification or discontent at the sight of superior excellence, reputation or happiness enjoyed by another, to repine another's prosperity, fr to fret or grieve oneself at a real or supposed superiority of another and to hate him on that account. And the main difference between envy and, and coveting is that envy is a feeling of discontent and resentment based on someone else's possessions, ability, status, whilst coveting is wishing, longing or craving for something that belongs to someone else. Okay, so basically envy always creates negative emotions towards that person. Okay? Um, Galatians 5.26 says, Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. Okay, and, and there's, there's quite a few verses in the Bible that are saying similar things because it's a big problem, isn't it? Envious of someone's car. People get that, don't they? Get envious of someone's car, their house, their spouse, popularity maybe. Envious of this person in the church. They just seem more popular than me and they start to hate on them because of it. Their looks maybe, you know? Get, and I think maybe that might be more of a female thing. I don't know, maybe... <laughs> Maybe some guys get a bit like that as well. Um, but they, you know, you see that, don't you? you see that amongst women? They start to get envious of the looks maybe of another lady. And then they, but they don't go, oh, I just so wish I looked. No, they start to hate them. They start to hate other things and find other things to hate. Their job, maybe they're envious of that guy's job. He's got a good job. He's earning more. He's got it easy. He's got more respect. Their role in the church, it could be as well. Envious of people's roles in the church. I'm not just talking about my role here, other people's roles, other things people do they get envious of. Even their faith, envious of just someone who's a stronger Christian. So instead of, instead of saying, uh, you know, I need to work hard to be a better Christian, instead it's, you know, one of those, you know, so holy, you know. Oh, yeah, just showing off because, you know, and, and I can't really necessarily finger what it is. But that, and it comes from envy, does it? And they start to hate on them. And, it, and it, you can see how damaging that could be to a church, can't you? Okay, how damaging. Um, and it's rarely left as just an emotion. So it's rarely left, it's, it's just, oh, well, I just hate that person. I'll keep it quiet. I'll work my way through it. Proverbs 27, 4 says, Wrath is cruel and anger is outrageous, but who is able to stand before envy? What a great verse. I know I've read it before, but, but who is able to stand before? It's so destructive, isn't it? It's so destructive, more so than the, than the, than the wrath and the anger, which is cruel and outrageous. Who's able to stand before it? Because it results a lot of the time in attacks, slandering, other problems like that, doesn't it? That's where envy leads to, because it's such an emotional thing. And it often results in another point which really affects churches is gossip, doesn't it? Often results in gossip. Again, you'd have to turn to Proverbs 16, 28 says, A froward man soweth strife, and a whisperer separateth chief friends. And we should be chief friends here, shouldn't we? We should be chief friends here. And a whisperer separateth that. Gossiping feels good though, doesn't it? Truthfully, gossiping feels good to many people. They feel good with it. Because you're lifting yourself up against the person you're gossiping about. Really, you're gossiping about something and you're basically saying, oh, I wouldn't behave like that. No, I wouldn't talk like that. I wouldn't do what they did. I wouldn't behave or be like that person there. And that's what you're doing when you're gossiping. You lift yourself up. And all sorts of problems in church are caused by gossip, aren't they? All sorts of problems. And gossiping is a funny thing where I think for many people, they kind of know they're being gossiped about. I don't know if you've ever been gossiped about. You kind of just, there's just, there's an air around. There's just this feeling. There's the, the odd look, the odd comment. You just, you kind of know sometimes. And, and that can make people in a church feel unwelcome. Just feel like they're being gossiped about. Often results in false witness, doesn't it? Because it's not in front of two or three witnesses. It's just being spread around, little things, little comments. People feeling aggrieved, don't they? Start to feel aggrieved. The ones who are doing the gossiping a lot of the time or that they've heard something and they start to feel angry at people. And, and it's a plaything for division causes, isn't it? So people that want to actively cause division in a church, gossip's a great way of doing that. 
And it causes schisms, doesn't it? It causes schisms. But 1 Corinthians 12.25 says that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. So we don't want the schisms, but, but gossip causes that. It always does, doesn't it? You're always going to end up with some form of division caused by that, even if it's just that someone's been gossiped about to you and you just start to feel a bit drawn away from that person, don't you? And it's not necessarily, it's not always the truth, is it? So in a church, if it's important, come and see the leadership. If it's not, don't gossip about, about it. That's pretty simple, isn't it? Simple rule of thumb there. And now gossip often comes from the next point. The next one that's destructive is pride, isn't it? Like I said, it often comes from pride. Proverbs 13.10 says, Only by pride cometh contention, but with a well-advised is wisdom. You see contention anywhere in life, and there'll be pride around it, won't there? There'll be some sort of pride that's caused it, that's, that's been involved in it. Okay, and, and prideful people in churches cause all sorts of problems, don't they? prideful people cause all sorts of problems some people just feel insecure around them because some people do a good job when they're prideful of making people feel rubbish because they're puffed up they're a bit bragging they're talking about you know how great they are or and you get that a lot don't you with the prideful and people just start to feel wow they're really you know they're pretty they've really got it sorted you know and, and people start to feel insecure around the prideful sometimes which often then causes counter pride doesn't it you get the old counter-pride, where then when someone's lifting themselves up, you get sucked into trying to lift yourself up back, you know? People do do that, don't they? So a lot of the time when you get a prideful person, there's a few more around them, and they hang around each other, and they're all just so puffed up and puffing themselves up and everything else. Romans 12, 3 says, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Let's think soberly, sensibly, when it comes to ourselves, yeah? Okay, we should, shouldn't we? Because really, it, it, it can be pretty sad when you meet those puffed up people and you're looking at them thinking, really? Come on. And, and I'm not talking about people in this chair. I'm not trying to earmark anyone. Because you get it on the door a lot, don't you? How many people you knock on the door? You knock on the door and you ask them, you know, oh, what, what you got to do to go to heaven? And, and the answer is, be a good person, you know, and they think they're going to heaven because they, they claim to be a good person. And you look at this person and you're thinking, come on, you know. And, and, and it's sad, isn't it? And we get it all over the place. You get it in places of work and all these, they're so puffed up, these people. You're just looking at people thinking, really, how? How did you get there? You know, and we should, we should think soberly about ourselves, shouldn't we? And if we're all just that little bit more humble, I think in general, you sort out a lot of the division, a lot of the gossip, a lot of the envy and all of that if you just humble yourself you know um okay the the pride because the other problem with the prideful is they often won't submit to leadership and rules will they that's the truth they won't submit to rules in the church and they won't submit to leadership because they think too much of themselves because they think that they're above that they're above to submitting to what they're told to do they're above falling in into line that's the truth isn't it but the problem is it doesn't just affect the leader and, and, and again, a great verse. You don't have to turn there. We've got loads of verse today. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they that must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. And that's you plural, isn't it? And that's if you have prideful people that are just causing grief, causing problems for the leadership of a church because they just can't do as they're told. They can't submit. They can't just follow. It affects the whole church. Because the leader's then doing it with grief, aren't they? And they're constantly trying to deal with the prideful people, the prideful person. That's the point that affects everyone in the church. So it's more than just, oh, well, I just don't want to listen to that, but I don't want to submit to leadership. No, in the end, you're just affecting everyone else. Now, okay, it can also be pride. So now I sound like linking these up. I'm quite proud of this. No, I'm joking. Okay, that can also be pride that causes another on the selfish sins list, okay? Forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Okay, and that is a selfish sin, forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Turn to Hebrews 10. Turn to Hebrews chapter 10. And verse 24 says, And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching because ultimately it's selfishness isn't it it's selfishness because of the, here this is one of kind of the go-to verses for like a clear verse saying don't forsake basically coming to church 
And, and what does it say? It says, let us, just before that, let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. So like I, I preached the other week, one of the big reasons for coming to church is to help each other, is to provoke each other, to exhort each other. It's not just to come to see what I can get from church. It's not just, well, I'm, or just because I've got to go to church, not just to come to go, well, what am I going to get from the preacher this week? You're coming to church to also encourage, exhort each other. And it is selfish not coming there for, isn't it? When you see verses like this, it's, it's a selfish sin to not come to church. We're not just at church for ourselves. We're not just at church for ourselves. We're, we're here to help each other. We're here to, to encourage each other. Verse 24 says, and let us consider one another. Okay, that's a selfless act, isn't it? To consider one another. Verse 25 says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as a manner of some is, but exhorting one another. Okay, that, that can, like I said before, that can just be from turning up, can't it? Just be from turning up. If, if we turned up here and there was 10 people here, that's probably not going to exhort the people here that were here when it was 50, 60, you know, and the rest of it. Yeah? And, and, and that's the truth. It's just turning up, just being part of those numbers for us to look and go, wow, yeah, we have 50, we had this. It, it makes a difference. It really does. Okay? And that's, that's every service. You know? And that can, be, that can be discouraging when, you, when you're in one service, it's busy, and then you're in another, and there's 30 people in there. Okay? And not just for me, for everyone in here as well. Just turning up, let alone the fact that you could pray for each other, that you could be there when we're singing together and we're all singing, like we said before. What a difference that makes. You know, and, and, and again, what, you know, we're, we're in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, we're trying to encourage, exhort each other, we're trying, to, we're trying to teach each other, aren't we, through that as well. And when it's being belted out and you're thinking about those words, and, and, and like I said, just being here and, and being there for each other makes a big difference. It's selfish not to turn up to church. And, and I'm not talking about those, those of you that have really, really proper, proper reasons. But when it's not, when it's just, I don't really fancy it. I don't know, I'm a bit tired or something else. That ain't a reason not to turn up to church. We're here to help each other, aren't we? Okay, and that, that's a selfless act, isn't it? That's how we should be. We're here to worship God as well, aren't we? We're here to worship God. God who gave his life for us. And then, well, I don't know, he wants us here. He wants us singing to him. He wants us worshipping him. He wants us at church, doesn't he? Okay, to serve God, to help each other. Now, these are the selfish sins that I think affect the church that came to my mind this week, okay? And there, and there are many more. We could all probably think of some. If you want to, you know, write them down at the end of the service on the back of your bulletin, preach another, service, preach another sermon on it in a few weeks. But turn, turn back to Joshua 7. Joshua chapter 7 and verse 24. It says, And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan the son of Zerah and the silver and the garment and the wedge of gold and his sons and his daughters and his oxen and his asses and his sheep and his tent and all that he had and they brought them unto the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why hast thou troubled us? The Lord shall trouble thee this day. And all Israel stoned him with stones and burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones unto this day. So the Lord turned, up, turned from the fierceness of his anger. Wherefore, the name of that place was called the Valley of Achor unto this day. Okay, so selfish sins that hurt our family. Okay, selfish sins that hurt our families. Point number two. That's a pretty brutal ending, isn't it, for Achan and his family? That's pretty brutal. Why did the whole family die? You wonder that when you read this? Why did the whole fa family die? Were Joshua and Israel out of line here, do you think? When they're out of line, well, look at verse 15. Look at Joshua chapter 7 and verse 15. Where God commands, And it shall be that he that is taken with the accursed thing shall be burnt with fire, he and all that he hath, because he hath transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he hath wrought folly in Israel. So God commanded Joshua to burn him and all that he has with fire. Okay, God commanded that. That included his family, yeah? Included his family. The children of Israel, if you look back at verse 25, it looks like they chose to stone him first. It says, And all Israel stoned him with stones and burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. Looks like they went a bit easy on him, maybe. I don't know, maybe that's what God expected anyway. But they stoned him with stones first. Look at, look at verse 13 here. Okay, verse 13, to see why. 
it says, up, sanctify the people and say, sanctify yourselves against tomorrow. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, there is an accursed thing in the midst of thee, O Israel. Thou canst not stand before thine enemies until you take away the, cur the accursed thing from among you. So there would have been worst, reper worst repercussions for the people, I think, had this continued, yeah? There, it would have got worse. And a harsh punishment dissuades people from repeating sins, doesn't it? Okay, and if only our country understood that. A harsh punishment, the sort of punishments that God wanted us to give people for certain sins, certain crimes, would stop people doing that. And even when people don't care about the effect on their people, I think when it comes to your families, it can be a different matter, can't it? So even when you don't care about your church, you don't care about your people, Maybe when it comes to your family, it might change things a little bit. Also, though, families have a habit, don't they, of partaking in sin together. Okay, families have a, f families have a habit of partaking in sin together. He buried, didn't he? He buried a lot of gold there, silver, the old designer suit. He, he buried all that in the earth in the midst of his tent. Do you think that his family had no idea? Think his family had no idea? He's just come back from battle and he's digging holes. You know, do you think they were just like, oh yeah, that's just what dad does. He just goes back and has a little dig, doing a bit of gardening in the middle of the tent. Okay, let's be honest, I think they knew what was going on, didn't they? Um, do, it, with his sons and daughters, do you think maybe they're involved though? Maybe they're involved. So his sons and daughters here, like I said, they're, they're at least, I think they were witness to what he did. Maybe they're involved Maybe they're with him at the time that he stole it. And by the way, just if, if you're wondering, they're not necessarily children, are they? Didn't say that they were children. If you look back to, to verse, uh, I think it's verse 24. It says, it says, um, and his daughters and his, uh, sorry, and his sons and his daughters and his oxen and his asses. Um, no mention of a wife here either. But they weren't necessarily children. Maybe these were these were responsible adults here. His daughters and his sons. Um, Either way, though, maybe they would have repeated the sin. Maybe they would have repeated the sin had he got away with it lightly, had they got away with being part of it as well. But whatever the truth, and we're only really, we're, we're kind of guessing here, Achan's selfish sin had a devastating effect on his family. Yeah? Okay? It had a devastating effect on his family. They all got stoned. They all got burned. Um, and, and I was thinking there about some specific selfish sins that hurt our families too. So let's start off with the obvious one again. So the major sin of this, of this story is covetousness, isn't it? But I'm just going to quickly go over this. We've already looked at it. But it does hurt families as well as churches. Okay, Covetousness obviously hurts, hurts families. You think of the discontent wives who are just focusing on wealth instead of the things of God. There are, aren't there? There are women out there that instead of you know, focusing on training up their kids, focusing on, on the things of God, focusing on looking after their, their, their husbands, focusing on worshipping God, focusing on living for God. All they can think about is the things and the stuff and the money and, and how else they're going to get that to the point where they're trying to take on, you know, extra jobs and everything else when they don't necessarily need it. Because that happens, doesn't it? You know, and, and oh, just, just you know, not got to get more stuff, more things, more money. What about husbands chasing money? when with food and raiment, they should be content, shouldn't they? Husbands are just chasing the extra money. Okay, it's one thing, yeah, we should provide, shouldn't we? We should provide for our families, that's clear. We don't want to be worse than an infidel, we should pr provide for our families. But we shouldn't be trying to chase a mega, mega richer than then our family's going to pot. Our kids uh, don't have a say, hardly at all, because we're just trying to get more and more cash and more and more stuff and more and more things. Our wives are, are, are all my single women, single mums, because we're never there, we're never around. Now, we should earn and we should work, and, and for some we need, you know, some jobs you need to work the extra hours, but, but there's a difference between that and then just being covetous and trying to get as much money as you can. And there's a fine line between being a diligent worker, isn't there, and just trying to chase the big money. And, and, and with covetousness as well, I've seen it really destroy families because that can be a big problem where, where mom, wives feel like they're on their own and, or, or otherwise where, where men feel they're just inferior because their wives are putting so much pressure on them for more money and more cash where they feel like they're a failure because they don't earn the big money. But what about, what about gambling as well? That comes from covetousness, doesn't it? And I know people who have literally destroyed their whole lives. I was, of a couple of old I was talking to actually an old friend recently who was telling me that eventually... 
his um his partner it is this this young lady it turned out and they you know sadly they do have kids and and the whole thing was a mess it turned out she'd been stealing money off him for to, for a gambling addiction and it had gone into the thousands of thousands of pounds and she's now trying to pay it back and that just what a mess and he's now moved off to another side of the world left the kids just just terrible uh, 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 an old friend who i know who his his uh his wife used to have to take his bank card and take and uh, have all his money transferred straight out of his bank into her bank account with every paycheck because he couldn't like one day be online poker and and it, it was it, i mean it was again just destructive the lack of respect there what what a, it was just a, a mess of a family and just because of the that that just desire that crave that covetousness because that's what it is isn't it yeah. Okay, we, we, oh, well, it's, you know, they, they've got this particular sin, not even sin, the world would call it, like it's some sort of mental health thing. The gambling, that's their thing. You know, they need some help. No, they need to deal with the covetousness, yeah, don't they? Yeah. they? need to deal with the because they're coveting money. That's what they're doing. Yes, I know it becomes addictive. Covetousness does become addictive, doesn't it? But really, they need to deal with the covetousness. Um, in Luke 12, 13, it says, and one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. And how many families fall out over money, over inheritance? Again, I was, I was thinking about someone else I know who, who's, they basically, somehow, I mean, she's telling you this as if it's just, you know, they, they did the right thing. Her and her sister decided that because her other brother and sister weren't helping their mum enough towards the end of her dementia, that they basically got the will rewritten and just cut them out. You know, so if she's just like, yeah, fit, I mean, they, you know, the last couple of years, they never even saw her, blah, blah, one of them was a Jehovah's Witness, so kind of, you know, but, <laughs> but yeah, they just never saw and never saw mum, so, you know, how, why should they, why should they get any, so we just, they just got the mum to change the will, while she, you know, while she was at the early stages of dementia, and, and this goes on throughout the world, doesn't it? Families falling out over money, cash, lending, etc. Uh, destroys families. And then what happens with it? All kids learn to worship money too, don't they? Kids learn to worship money. If you're just t constantly talking about money, constantly craving money, constantly going on about money, your kids become covetous as well. That destroys them. So covetousness does destroy families. But here's a few others. So how about disobeying the commandments for marriage? How about that? Disobeying the commandments that go hand in hand with marriage. So let's start, for once, we're going to start with the men with this. And you know, this can't be preached enough. Okay, this honestly can't be preached enough because in this day and age, in this world, and it, it's, I mean, we're hearing the complete opposite, aren't we? Everywhere. So even if this was preached every week, because the, the family really, I mean, in here, we've got majority families anyway, and this isn't having a go at anyone that's not, not a family at this church. But, you know, it really makes a difference, doesn't it? We've got kids there, the future, and this massively, this is one of the big problems in families. So I'll turn to Ephesians 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Like I said, we're going to start with the men. Well, you turn there. Colossians 3.19 says, Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. 1 Peter 3.7 tells us to give honour unto the wives. And Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. That's a clear command, isn't it? How clear a command is that? That it's repeated time and time again. Love your wives, be not bitter against them, give honour unto them, love them as Christ loved the church. Okay, there are no ifs there, are there? There's no ifs, where, or if she submits, if she's a good Christian wife, if she does what you think she should do, there are no ifs, there are no buts, are there? There are no buts there at all, love your wife. And it's so easy, it's so clear, and it's, and it's something we do, and it's not the world's mushy love, well, if only I could love her, she just, you know, we've fallen out of love, and the rest of it, that's a load of rubbish, you, you actively love, you choose to love, you choose not to love, and God made it clear to love your wives, and how many problems in families are caused by men not loving their wives, how many, how many relationships are destroyed, how many, because men choose not to, they choose to not love their wives. And then they start going down the route of, well, she's not submitting. She's not. Maybe if you loved her, she might actually submit to you. Ever thought about that? Maybe if you just loved her regardless. 
Yeah, because it's it, it's a clear command. It's not just well, you should, you should try. This is what you should try and do. Depends if she ticks the boxes. No, love your wives. Love your wives. It's simple. It says in verse 26 that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church. And this is obviously talking about how we should be with our wives, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. That's not very selfish, that, is it? He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord, the church. And he's basically giving us what is the selfishness that we, you know, and we do. We all should. Obviously, we should look after and take care of ourselves, but we should be putting that onto our wives. And, it's, and that's what it is. It's selfishness. It's selfishness to not love your wife, because not only does it affect your wife, not only does it destroy your, your marriage, but it affects your kids as well. And I would say it also affects your church. On top of that as well, when you see guys walking around or just lording it or trying to act like, you know, they're so high and mighty because they, they snap their fingers at their wife. And I'm not saying that happens here, but I bet it does in churches where men are trying to puff their chest out, act like they're something that's special. But, but why aren't they showing them the love? Their wives should submit. Yeah, we'll see that in a second. Wives should submit. But where's the love? Because trying to degrade your wife in front of people doesn't sound very loving to me. And I'm not saying it's degrading for her to submit, but when you're talking down or when you're talking rude to them, that's not, that's not loving her. That's right. How's that loving your wife? Okay, and, and again, this is a problem. This is a problem that affects families, I think, the world over anyway. It, it does. It's not, oh, well, it's not just a problem for Christians because everyone in the world over is just so selfish, aren't we? Too busy loving ourselves and not loving, loving those people that God has put in our life. Those people that we vowed to God Told we shouldn't really make that school, but we do, don't we? Because on our wedding day, we're vowing to God to love her, to honour her, to cherish her. So why aren't we doing it? Okay, we should all do it. But, but what about you wives, though? You wives. Let's stay in Ephesians 5. Colossians 3.18 says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands, as it is fit in the Lord. 1 Peter 3.1 says, Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. Ephesians 5, verse 22 Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Wives, submit unto your own husbands. Be in subjection to your own husbands. Submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. I would hope you, every single saved Christian would want to submit themselves unto the Lord. Yeah? And that's how you should to your husband. That's pretty clear, isn't it? And the irony, the irony that wives are commanded to submit to their own husbands, but the majority of women in this world, and sadly the majority of Christians probably too, would prefer to submit to someone else's husband in the workplace, wouldn't they? They would prefer to submit to someone else's husband in the workplace, and for some women it's still probably a bit, bit of a pull right now, because for some they've maybe only been saved a few years. And they've come out from all of that to where they still feel slightly inferior. I was talking to a family member yesterday who, who is only recently saved, who is at home, and he's just feeling that pressure, that pressure from the people. So what do you do for work from the other mums at the school gate? So what do you do? Oh, so, so are you going to be using the extra 30 hours or whatever childcare so you can go back to work, you know? And, and, and what's your job? What's your career? And, and, and she's feeling that, oh, maybe I should do something. I'm saying, oh, hell no. no, you shouldn't be doing anything. Look after, your, look after your kids and look after your husband. Because that's what the Bible says, doesn't it? Don't go and submit yourself to someone else's husband. And it's ironic, isn't it? Because that's where so many problems come from as well. Verse 23 said, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the saviour of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their husbands in everything. Everything, wives. Everything. That's pretty, again, have I, I, I not just read that in everything? Not, well, just depend, well, he's not right about that one, though. No, I'm not going to do that. No, submit to them. That's what the Bible says. And it doesn't just say it once. It says it three times because I think that maybe there's a point there that's trying to be hammered home, isn't there? Three times. If only you cared more for God's commandment, then you might actually be happy. Okay, and again... I hope everyone here is doing it. If you're not, then I hope this is preaching to you. And if it isn't, I hope it's preaching to, to any of you kids here when you grow up because you're probably going to be attacked with this even more 
this liberal nonsense, this brainwash, that somehow you're going to be a happier woman when you're submitting to some man in the workplace and not to your husband. But the Bible doesn't say that. It's selfishness. It's selfishness not to. It's selfish, about, uh, it's selfish towards your husband, whether he's loving you or not, and it's selfish towards your kids as well. Because not only does it destroy what could be a happy marriage, which affects a house, but your kids learn it too, don't they? Your kids, they soak it up. They pull it. And, and young, and, and there are, I reckon the world over there are young ladies that think that a man will love them, you know, as they're getting together because he gives them maybe slightly more attention than their selfish dad gave their mums. You know, and there are people probably the world over that have got in bad marriages just because the benchmark, what they were growing up looking at, was such a poor example. So anything just even slightly, oh, what a loving guy because he, he, he remembered my name or something else. And, and because people do, they, they get the examples off their parents, don't they? Or young men that think that a lady will be a good submissive wife just because she hasn't started bossing them around yet because her dad was just getting bossed around left, right and centre by their mum, you know? And again, they shouldn't be doing that, should they? Shouldn't be doing it. The Bible says clearly to submit in everything. And we do, don't we? do often end up repeating our parents' behaviour. Uh, we do. We, a lot of people repeat their parents' sins, don't they? Um, and not only do you, do you destroy your own chance of happiness, but your spouses and also your kids, and maybe their kids and their kids, etc. Because then it becomes this chain event. Just break it. Break that chain. Who's to say they're going to break that chain? Because the pressure's going to be even worse on them. The pressure on our parents, and most people here were probably unsaved parents, was a lot less than the pressure on us. And it's going to get worse and worse, isn't it? I mean, by the, the way the world's going, unless we suddenly see some massive change, it's going to get worse and worse and worse to the point where our kids are going to have, and their kids are going to have some real, real pressure, aren't they? Um, okay, and while we're on the subject of husbands and wives, let's just quickly hit probably the most destructive thing, adultery. Okay, adultery. What a wicked sin. What a wicked, selfish sin. Um, that's why Leviticus 20.10 says, And the man that committeth adultery with another man's wife, even he that committeth adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress, shall surely be put to death. I had a lady email me about our church and was so stressed out about some of our beliefs a little while back. She was saying, so, so are you saying you think that I should have been put to death because I had an affair? I said, yes. <laughs> yes, you should have done, but we're not the ones that are going to do it. But yes, you should have done. And I'll tell you, and what I said to her is, had that been hanging over you, I doubt you would have commit, committed an affair. I hope you wouldn't. Otherwise, you're really wicked if you still would have done and then got put to death for it. It wrecks lives, doesn't it? Absolutely wrecks lives, wrecks families, and it's pure selfishness, isn't it? Pure selfishness. Oh, I just fell out of love. Oh, they, they just, you know, gave more to me. That, oh, it was, that, you know, the, the wife, it was better for her that I moved on. How oh, funny that, because you didn't move on first, did you? But one of the reasons that Ephesians 5.22, Colossians 3.18, 1 Peter 3.1 that we've just looked at, talks about submitting to your own husband, doesn't it? about submitting to your own husband because sending your wife out to the workplace as some male boss is asking for trouble, isn't it? It's asking for trouble. Getting your wife to submit to another man day in, day out is a big problem, isn't it? Okay, and that's where so many affairs come from. They come from the workplace, don't they? They come from that day in, day out. And then getting them to submit to some other man when the, when the Bible says to submit to your own husbands. Um, but in the same way, though, men, employing or having some lady submit to you in one way or another is asking for trouble, isn't it? It's asking for trouble. People that, that are employing women to, to submit to them in the workplace, that's, that's the problem. Because if the Bible says for the women not to do that, why are you encouraging, oh, well, she's unsaved, oh, well, you know, she wants a job. No, you're asking for trouble. And, and with this, yeah, look, and again, I hope no one has this problem, but men, don't even entertain the thought. Because it always starts with a thought, doesn't it? it all, the second you have that thought, then that's a hard place to come back for. But, uh, sorry, to come back from. It starts with a thought, doesn't it? It's that thought in the mind. Even just that, just that, that fleeting thought, oh, if only, or something else. It starts with that. And, 
and all these stupid worldly terms like it's somehow just an innocent a wandering eye they call it oh he's just oh he's got a bit of a wandering eye you know oh the, the, you know well i just look but i don't touch you know or, or oh well if i if i wasn't married you know they come out you get these men that come out with that sort of rubbish don't they but it's wicked isn't it you're not fooling anyone who are you fooling that means that you want you would love that idea if only you had the chance that's what that means isn't it Okay, in Matthew 5, 28, Jesus said, But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. So if you're looking on women, if you're lusting after women, however much you tell yourself, well, I wouldn't ever do anything, I, I say you're an adulterer. You're an adulterer in your heart. You're a whoremonger. You're an adulterer. And that applies to you women too, though. That applies to all you women as well. Oh, if only he was more like that man. If only he was more like that. What's, what's the difference? It's the same, isn't it? Yeah, they might not be so much on the looks and stuff that, that, that the men sadly are led by, but a lot of these women, they do. Or, or I bet he doesn't treat, treat his wife like that. I bet there are women that say that. I hope there's no women here that say that. I bet, or, you know, I bet brother so-and-so doesn't treat his wife like that. I bet that person doesn't. What's that? What's that if it's not looking on a man to lust after him in some way or another, isn't it? Okay? And now it's wicked. Cut that out. Stop looking at other men. Stop, stop comparing your man with other men. There's a name for women like that as well in the Bible, isn't it? Whores. Because that's what you're doing. You're being a whore. You're, you're, you're comparing your man to other, to other men. You're talking about other men. It's wicked. But we live in a wicked world, don't we, where adultery, adultery is probably more common than a faithful marriage, I reckon. I don't know how, you know, I know divorce is massive and a big part of that is adultery, but I would say adultery is probably more common than a faithful marriage now. I reckon in this country it is. Sadly, there's not really that many marriages, it seems, anymore either. Um, in a world where our, in a, in a country where our pervert prime minister is shacked up, shacked up with his girlfriend in 10 Downing Street, what sort of a message is that given out to our country? Uh, what about that, uh, what's his name? What's that little rat called, the recent one? His cock, Matt Hiscock, who everyone seemed to care more about the fact that he was breaking quarantine rules than the fact that he was having an affair. Like, where have we got? And I think that was seemed to be on purpose, wasn't it? It was like everything was about, oh, well, everyone's, you know, he needs to apologise for breaking, like, the social distancing. It's like the guy's married. And she was married. It's like, oh, yeah, by the way, they were married, yeah. Oh, Wow, how far apart, isn't it? What a massive difference. Yeah, stone them, stone them. Just for the record, we're not saying go out and stone them. <laughs> Keep an eye out for that buzzer. Um, okay, but, okay, but we're, we're, on, we're on at parents here, we're on at husbands and wives here in the family, but let's get on at you kids too, yeah? Let's get on at you kids, because I don't think there's probably enough preaching at kids. So selfish sins that hurt families children that won't obey their parents children and you might be thinking well uh, well isn't that our job to to tell our kids this do you need to preach that well no because the bible tells them to obey their parents it's talking to the kids there okay so i think you kids need to listen to to some preaching from the bible telling you to obey your parents oh well i've got it sorted brother ian don't you worry that you know take heed he thinketh he standeth yeah <laughs> take heed lest he fall because you, you know, kids can quickly change. Kids can quickly change. And they need preaching as much as we need preaching, don't they? Okay, kids need preaching. Turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. And verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honour thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest live long on the earth. So firstly, for all of you that are selfish little brats, look at me. Right, now I know you're all selfish little brats. <laughs> you should have looked at the floor. <laughs> okay, I got you. Okay, so everyone here, every child here, although I don't think you looked actually, Grace. <laughs> My little sweetheart. <laughs> everyone here, every one of you kids is a selfish little brat. Okay, and the Bible says to honour, to, and that's to respect, to treat with, with submission, to do your duty, to do as you're told, isn't it? Okay, honour. 
Now, now listen, this is, this is what I'm saying. For those of you that are selfish, verse 3 says that it may be well with you. That it may be well with you. So if you want a happy and long life, what it says there, if you want a happy and long life, then you should obey your parents, that, that you should honour honor your parents, yeah? Okay, that's, that's pretty obvious there, isn't it, guys? I, don't, I think even the youngest kids here could probably get this, this from here. It says here, honour thy father and mother, that's mummy and daddy, okay? Honour thy mummy and daddy, which is the first commandment with promise. That's a rule, that's an order from God saying then that it may be well with thee. That means it's going to be okay with you guys. And that, that mayest live long on the earth. That means that you're going to live for a long time. Okay? That's, that, that's pretty good, isn't it? Okay, so it doesn't matter even if you're selfish. It's good for you. Turn to Colossians 3.20. Colossians chapter 3, verse 20. says, children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Okay, kids, here's a question answer. How many things did God tell you to obey your parents in? First one isn't selfish. There we go, Joshua. All things, all things. Did it say some things? No, all things. Obey your parents in all things, not just the things that you agree with. And some of you older kids, start, you start to get your own ideas that you know best, don't you? Not just the things that you agree with. Not just the things that you can't get away with. How about that? Not just the things. He said all things. All things. And if not for your parents' sake, how about to please the Lord? That's the first, first non-selfish reason. How about to please the Lord? Because what did he say here? He said there, children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. You know who the Lord is, kids? The Lord that died on a cross so that your naughty, rebellious selves can go to heaven instead of hell. Yeah? You know that place, heaven, that's a good one. Hell's a bad one. Yeah, he died on a cross for every single one of you. He died on the cross for every single one of you and it's well-pleasing to him when you do what your parents tell you. Yeah? It's not that it's well-pleasing to your parents. It is. I hope it is. But it's well-pleasing to the Lord. Amen. Why wouldn't we want to please him, kids, eh? And I'll tell you what, you want to please him. If you want to get through this, what can be a tough life, you want to please God. Um, or how about, though, because your behaviour affects your brothers and sisters. How about that? Because it does, doesn't it? All us parents can see that. When one starts playing up, often it starts affecting the other ones. They start repeating it. They start copying it. The younger ones, that can be hard, can't it? Because the older one doesn't always have that behaviour, bad behaviour to copy. So as long as you can kind of put a good show on in front of them, you might get a good older kid. Then when you start getting one after another after, they start to copy the other kid's behaviour, don't they? Okay? And, And... if you want, if if you want a happy house, you want to, you want a happy family. You want, and I'm not, I don't want to go too much on the on the guilt factor here. But you want happy parents as well, kids. Obey, obey, obey your parents. That's what that's what the Bible says to please God, and, and it will affect your family if you don't. And you know what? It does cause stress in the home, and it can destroy homes. Wayward kids, problem children. Kids that, that won't do as they're told, kids that, that are constantly just running battles with parents will destroy homes, won't it? Destroy families, gets between husbands and wives, doesn't it? Yeah. Often it does, gets between, and don't be like that, kids. Don't be like that. You don't want to do that, do you? And again, it shouldn't be out of guilt. It should be because you want to obey the law, because you want to obey your parents, because you want to be, you want to be a good child. You want to help your home. You want to help your home to thrive, yeah? Okay, children, obey your parents. And, you know, for sake of time, that's probably, for me, that's just a few obvious ones. There's so many other sins, aren't there? So many other sins you can think of, you know, drug and alcohol abuse and all sorts of things. But they're, for me, common sins, common sins that will affect the Christian household, that I think that affect, and the other ones that affect our church, affect our families. Um, and, and there are many more, like I said. But being less selfish is probably something we can all work on, isn't there? Isn't it? Yeah? Every single person here could work on being less selfish. How do we work on that? So I think that maybe if we just, if we stop to think about the effect, 
the effect our selfishness has on everyone else around us. Stop to think about the effect it has on our church, the effect it has on our family, those that we, we should and that we do love and care for. Uh, that should help, shouldn't it? Get down and pray. Get down and get on your knees and pray to God. Pray to God that you just fulfill his will. Get that, self, that selfish attitude out and just pray that you, just, you, you be what, what he wants you to be, that, that you desire the things he wants you to desire. Focus on pleasing God and then I think we can all, everyone here can make, will, will I think positively make changes in their life with this, yeah? Um, on that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you, um, thank you for, for that clear example of Achan and, and just how, how that selfish desire, that selfish lust, that selfish covetousness just destroys, destroys people, destroys families. How, how, what you think about that, what you think about people just dis- disobeying your clear commandments and, and help us to, to apply that in our lives, help us to, to be more more selfless in our lives, help us to, to want our church to thrive, and that, that means by cutting out those, those sins that, that will massively affect it, affect it. Help us to want our families to thrive, that's all of us, kids included, and, and again, to just cut out the, those sins which just make, make a difference and destroy the family unit. Um, and all those that I haven't mentioned as well, all those other thi- sins, just help us to, to cut these out of our lives and, and to get right with you, Lord. And um, help us to, to now have a, have a good afternoon. Please um, help us to, to just get many people saved this afternoon to go out, preach, preach the gospel clearly, soundly, and, and, and just to do your will today and, and, and the rest of the days following this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.